I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. So join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 210 in which I finished long arming for a while. I am recording this on Sunday, February 13th, and this is actually take two of this podcast because I got 28 minutes into an episode and realized my microphone was on mute. So it was it was the best podcast I have ever recorded. Let me just reassure you of that. And now it's just gone, so you're going to have to just trust me. Um, so we're trying this again. Uh, it's... Super Bowl evening, and my husband and son are downstairs watching the game, but with very little actual interest because we are a Buffalo Bills family, and they are not in the uh, Super Bowl, and so, uh, you know, they, my husband is kind of rooting for somebody because he tends to always root for the underdog. That's always his choice, um, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that because I don't really care. Um, at this point, I did care when the Buffalo Bills were playing. I don't care anymore. Um, so here's an update just to talk about where you can actually get my podcast, because this has been an ongoing saga. Um, it is, of course, available on my website, www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. You just go to the page marked podcast, and you can actually listen to it directly from the podcast or from that page. It is also available on Podbean or in the Podbean app. That's P-O-D-B as in boy, E-A-N. Um, that is actually my podcast host. So those of you who have the Podbean app, you get it like immediately as soon as I post it. It's also on Stitcher Radio. It's on iHeartRadio. It's just finally on Google Podcasts. Now here's the news I've actually had some forward motion on getting it onto Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. Um, had to actually end up bringing in the Calvary of tech support from Podbean. Uh, they went through and actually figured out two places where there were glitches. I would have never, if, holy Moses, I would have never figured it out. Um, you know, one episode, like episode 170 some odd, didn't have a time duration listed. And that was apparently what was stopping iTunes from picking. Who knows? Who knows these things? Uh, so I was able to fix it and immediately was able to happily submit it to Apple. It looks like it's going through. At the same time, I had also contacted Apple at some point, their tech support, and I did have an email back from them. So I sent them a response saying, okay, I think I figured it out. And boy, I really hope this gets approved quickly because I've got listeners asking for it. So I hope just by having that little personal touch that maybe we can get it done quickly. So finally have hope. I have hope that it'll be available through iTunes. Uh, I'm totally giving up on Spotify and Audible. They are just stupid. They're just stupid. I'm done with them. I cannot figure out what the problem is. Um, I did also just submit it to TuneIn, 
which pairs with Alexa. So I believe that means at some point you'll be able to just ask her to play the podcast. I have to almost spell things out with her like I do with my dogs because she's sitting right next to me and she'll start talking back to me if I'm not careful. So at the end of my last episode, I believe I mentioned some goals I had for the week ahead. I never wrote them down. So I don't actually really remember what they were. And I didn't really want to go back and listen to the whole thing to see if I could jog my memory. So I basically just went off what my what I know in my head my goals have kind of been. One is, of course, the storm at sea. Uh, I knew I wanted to cut a set of fabrics that I had gotten a collection in one of my sew sampler boxes, I think. I wanted to cut them into scraps. I had a long arm appointment that I was looking forward to and this, um, you know, the, the ongoing drama of changing out my big desk that I've had for 15 years with a much smaller desk. So here's my progress. None on the desk. <laughs> I've, I've done squat about the desk. And I really do need to tackle it. Mostly, it just feels overwhelming. That is going to be hard work, and it's going to probably take most of a day to do. And, you know, hey, I'm finally quilting again. I kind of don't want to give up a whole lot of time to doing something else. Uh, But I do need to get it done. So uh, maybe next weekend. (laughs) I just I do. I just need to get it done. As a friend of mine says, I need to put my big girl panties on and get her done. Um, So that's, you know, one thing. I am happy to say that I have much better progress in all of those other goals. So uh, let's talk about the long arm first, because I'm looking back at my notes. Uh, Progress on the storm at sea. I guess I can do that one really quickly. If you recall, I was really far short on one particular piece, so I had to order extra fabrics. I did finally get those fabrics this week. It took a little bit longer than I thought it would to get get them in. And so um, one of the things I did this afternoon was actually cut a bunch of pieces. Now, here's where I get to rave about the fact that I have an AccuQuilt. I absolutely loved it. So the the piece that I needed to cut, that section of the Storm at Sea die, because the, the Storm at Sea die has all the pieces you need for the block. I only need one set of triangles. Um, that section is somewhere it for me to um, rough cut for it. Somewhere in the four and a half inch neighborhood size square. Well, I have a five-inch strip cutter, so what I ended up doing was uh, I'd gotten a half yard of various fabrics, so I would have a lot of variety. And so I used the five-inch strip cutter to first cut that half of a yard into strips, five-inch strips, and I was able to fold it over because you fan fold on top of the, the thing, so you can do up to six layers of fabric at once. And each one of those was basically... Um, one set of fan folds and just one. So I was able to fan fold it three times. So adds a layer of six fabrics and then just shoot it through once, one half yard done in one swipe of the AccuQuilt. Um, and then when I had my strip done, then I had three separate strips because the way it cuts it in, it cuts off the ends. So then I fan folded those perpendicular to the 
strip die blades and folded them up and then ran it back through so I would get all essentially five inch squares um, just with again one pass so you know each half yard I did one pass to get into strips one pass to get into squares boy it was so fast and easy uh, and then I of course then went to cutting them up the triangles on the die so I got all of the pieces cut up pretty quickly I had also pulled the medium blue batiks from my stash that I thought would work, but as I'm looking at them, I'm actually worried that they're a little too dark. I need to think on them a little bit more. I haven't cut any of them up, but I don't want to ruin the sort of optical illusion that you get out of this quilt, which is kind of based on having a darker blue and a lighter blue. Um, I don't know. I... I I cut up all the, the ones I got from the shop in the mail. I think I got these from, I don't remember whether these were from Hancock's or Fat Quarter Shop. I think these were from Fat Quarter Shop, and I think I'm still waiting for the order from Hancock's. Or maybe that was something else I had ordered from Hancock's. I don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to stop talking. Uh, so anyway, I cut up all the new ones that I got, and I've decided I'm just going to go ahead and start sewing those up, and then... I don't know, I probably should just cut the rest so I can just get it done at this point. I don't really want to buy any more fabric for this quilt because, oh my god, we're, this is getting really expensive, <laughs> this one quilt. It's 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 adding up fast. Uh, so, mostly today I was just cutting all of those pieces. I also had to press out what I had done before the last time I had sewed, sewn on the fourth unit. I had all the first set of uh, first round of triangles on and I had to iron it because the last time I was just too tired by the time I was done sewing to stand and iron everything so this time I had to stand and iron everything and that takes a good half hour to, to press all of the pieces I had to press so I didn't get a whole lot of sewing done on that today but I mean everything else I got done I had to get done so I did still make progress so there's that um, the cutting one set of fabrics into scraps I had I think it's a jolly bar is what they call it. I want to say that they were five by 10 inch rectangles. I did not measure them before I cut them and now they're cut into tiny pieces. But that kind of strikes me as probably that's what the size was. So it was a collection of fabrics uh, that had come rolled up in one of my sew sampler things. And I think they were a jolly bar size. So I thought, well, that's the perfect size to just run through my um, hexi die on my AccuQuilt. So if you recall, I had just started playing around, or maybe I had just gotten the die, maybe I hadn't done any playing with it yet, with English paper piecing. The AccuQuilt die I have is one inch hexagon, so that means each side of the hexagon measures one inch, and it makes both the uh, there's a set of dies of a size to make the cardboard template or cardstock template, and then another set of dies on the same, or blades, I guess I should say, on the same die to make the fabric. And the two then work together. And so I did an experimental bit last week just with scraps I already had. And um, I put together my very first little grandfather's, grandmother's garden flower. Uh, whatever you call it, one, you know, one hexagon in the center surrounded by one row of hexagons. And I did enjoy it. Um, it was a nice 
hand piecing project. And I'm actually pretty good at hand piecing, I discovered, <laughs> when I'm doing that kind of anyway. It's a whip stitch instead of the other hand piecing I tried to do. I was sewing a seam, so I was actually doing a stitch, and I, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't like the process. This one, I liked the process. I don't know what the difference is, but, you know, sometimes something sticks and it doesn't other times. Uh, so I had fun doing that. I actually did most of it, most of the sewing during a Zoom webinar that I was attending about a software I use, and I was trying to learn more about it. Um, and then I finished it off during another Zoom meeting I was attending at which I was just listening to people talk. I wasn't having to really participate. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going to, I think, for now, keep all of the EPP stuff sitting at my computer so I can do it because I spent a lot of time on webinars that I don't really have to do anything. Um, so that's that was a lot of fun and so I took the set of fabrics, the jolly bar, whatever it was, and I cut those all into hexes and um, because they're so pretty and springy but a jolly bar itself is kind of an odd size and I'm sure, it, you know, I know the way so Central comes, it works. It came with a pattern that you would actually use that set of fabrics for. And I must not have liked the pattern because I didn't keep it together. Um, if I actually intend to make a pattern, I keep it right with the fabric it came with. But I don't tend to like to do that. I, you know, I will follow patterns um, and I will buy collections of fabric, but I don't really like to make a quilt that I know a gazillion other people are making in exactly the same fabrics. Uh, that's not really my jam. The only time I've done it really has been, well, I've tried it once or twice and failed. The ones that I finished the um, Cotton Cuts puzzle mystery quilts that are die cut things, that's the closest I've come. And the only reason I did those at that time was because I didn't have the time or mental energy to think about anything myself. So I was more than happy to have somebody just mail me something that I can just sit and sew together. Um, so anyway, that's a long story short to say I now have a whole bunch more hexes cut. Here's what I will say. I do have um, an actual resource review because now I've tested a couple of things. Uh, I am doing glue basting, not thread basting. And with glue basting, you just put a very thin line of glue right not at the edge of the paper template, but kind of close to the edge, maybe an eighth of an inch away and then just glue the, the fabric down to it and go all the way around and it makes a nice border and, or mitered corners and stuff. It's really fast, really easy. Um, and I, you know, we know me, I like fast and easy <laughs> as opposed to the then very slow meticulous hand sewing. I have to do put them together. Um, but I had found a glue pen in my stash, uh, in my one of my drawers, and it was Bone, B-O-H-N brand. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll try this and see. I ended up with glue all over my fingers. The The bone glue was a little bit softer, so it just kind of kept mushing. Even though I was trying to draw as thin a line as possible, I kept getting this kind of broader line. It kept coming out from under the fabric, even though I wasn't using that much. And so I ended up with glue all over my fingers. Um, and I just, I didn't like the way it was operating. Well, at the same time, because I had forgotten I actually had a glue pen in my tools already, I had ordered some online and 
Apparently I ordered two different brands. I clearly was not really paying attention. So I ordered Sue Daly, who is English paper piecing queen um, and has a lot of supplies for EPP. And then I also ordered a Soline uh, paper piecing pens or uh, glue stick pen. So tonight I tried, or this afternoon, I decided I really, you know, here I just cut all these hexes. I'm kind of gung-ho to get some of them um, made glued to the template. So I tried the Sue Daily and I love it. Man, it works so much better than the bone glue stick. Um, it's just, it's enough harder that you can just run the edge of the glue stick right where you want it. And it's not, you're not getting this really thick wide line. Uh, it's also purple, but dries clear, so you can see where you're putting it on. And um, the stick itself, their pen itself, is a little bit thinner, which I find much more comfortable to use. So I, I'm already sold on the Sue Daily glue stick. I will um, still test the Soline one to see whether I like that any better. I don't remember that there's a huge price difference between the two. Uh, the only thing I would say is Soline, you can probably buy at Joann's. It's probably much more readily available. Sue Daily, at least I have to order online. Maybe it would be at a local quilt shop. I have far fewer quilt shops around me now than I used to, because unfortunately some of them closed, I think, due to the pandemic. Although one, I think she just retired. Um, in any case, so that's, here's my little resource review is I really like the Sue Daily glue stick. I really don't like the bone glue stick. So if any of you out there would like to add your two cents to the whole glue pen, not, I shouldn't say glue stick, glue pen, much, much thinner than a glue stick, um, please do. Would love to have your input on that. So my long arm appointments. Um, so I had one long arm appointment on, I think it was on a Thursday, although that would be weird. <laughs> only because, you know, normally I'm working Thursdays. I don't remember. Maybe I had it on the Thursday and I had worked out my schedule around it. I mean, I do have, to a degree, I have a flexible schedule and I do spend a lot of evenings on Zoom calls and weekends, of course, so I often can do a couple of hours in the middle of the week doing something else. Uh, but in any case, I had two different appointments. And so the first one I decided... I really wanted to try pantograph quilting. Um, for those of you who don't know, pantograph is where you uh, you have a pattern printed on paper and it's taped on the opposite side, the carriage, on essentially the back of the quilt. It's taped onto the carriage and then you stand at the back of your machine with handles. You'll see a lot of long arm machines have handles on both sides. So you'll stand at the back of the machine and you will follow the pantograph and stitch the design that's on the pantograph. And the way you follow it is with this little red laser dot. This is, by the way, a hand pantograph, not a computerized one. So I'm having to watch this little red laser dot on this design and follow it with my hands on the machine to get that design onto my quilt. So here's the thing. I wanted to try it. I thought it would be fun. I thought it might um, open up possibilities of quilt designs that I don't have already in my repertoire or might be a little more complex than I, you know, feel comfortable doing or whatever. I started with a very simple pantograph. I 
did not have fun. I just didn't have fun. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the process. I never fell into a rhythm with it. And I, I have some theories about why that was. Um, so the biggest issue I had with it is that because you're following the line on the back of the quilt, you can't actually see what's going on on the quilt because you're standing on the, the wrong side. And I just wanted to keep, you know, looking up and over to see what was going on. And I just, I couldn't see it at the angle I was at. And that, that in and of itself drove me nuts. I much prefer to actually be looking at my quilt. The second thing I didn't like about it is watching that stinking little red laser. <laughs> Partly, some of it is just where do you actually focus your eyes? So when you're free motion quilting, when, when I'm just sitting at my domestic sewing machine, um, DSM, free motion quilting, you very quickly learn, if you've never done it, don't look at the needle. Your temptation is to watch the needle. You don't do that. You actually look a little bit ahead of the needle. Um, you know, I always think of it as you watch the future, not the present. <laughs> you want to see where you're going rather than where you are. So on this, when I'm watching this little red laser dot, I'm trying to focus ahead of myself. But I think it was partly because I'm looking at this whole thing from a good I don't know, I was probably, what, 18 inches, two feet away from where these lines were. And so I'm struggling to focus on the one line without looking at the whole, you know, because there's lines all over the place. So I'm trying to follow this one little red laser. And then here's the third thing <laughs> is with the way this particular machine is set up, the laser is actually um, wired onto the side of the machine so I'm not even standing square at the machine. I'm having to stand a little bit to the left and my hands on the handlebar, I think like my left hand is kind of at the center of my body and my right hand is off to the side. So I am moving along in front of my whole machine. It just, the whole thing just felt unnatural. <laughs> and I know if I did it a lot, I'd probably get used to it eventually. I think the other reason, this is my theory as to why I couldn't even get into a rhythm on it, is because my quilt that I was doing this on is a smaller quilt. It's not, it's, to even say it's throw size would be generous, It's, but it's not a wall hanging, it's somewhere in between. Um, so I could only do a couple of passes of maybe, I want to say it's probably about 40 inches across-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood, somewhere between 40 and 50. So it's, you know, I'm doing a pass with one design. I come, I slide it back and I do a second pass um, because this particular machine apparently doesn't like to go. Let's see, I was working left to right. It does not like to go backwards. It doesn't like to go right to left. So I had to keep, you know, I'd get to the end, cut my thread, go back, do a second pass um, left to right. And so I just, I never was really able to get into a rhythm because every two passes I'd have to stop and advance the quilt. Um, so all of that's to say, when I was looking at it when I was finished, I was very unhappy. I really disliked my finished result. Um, I really, when I looked at it, I was like, I could have done better than that freehand, even though this was a design that I wasn't 
overly familiar with. It wasn't that far off the one I'm very good at and that I've done a lot of that I couldn't have, you know, eventually gotten into a rhythm. Um, so I was really unhappy about that. I, you know, it's this quilt. I had no intentions for this quilt. I didn't have anybody I was going to give it to. I have no grand design around where it's going to live in my house or even what would I just, you know, I did it cause I, it was fun. Um, it was something I wanted to work on myself. It's kind of a challenge. So, you know, I still have to bind it and then I'll throw it in the wash and we'll see what it looks like when it comes out. See, here's the thing. I love a hundred percent cotton batting. That is my all time favorite batting. Oh, here's a caveat though, except bamboo. I really love <laughs> my all time favorite batting is bamboo. It's hard to get, especially right now. It's really hard to get. Uh, but 100% cotton is probably my more normal um, favorite batting. And it's particularly because I love the way when you wash it, it wrinkles and immediately looks old fashioned. I just, I adore that. I, and, you know, I'm not really a traditionalist quilter. I can do some traditional designs. Um, I do a lot of block quilting, kind of traditional piecing, but I don't do reproduction fabrics usually. So it's not like I'm going after that vintage look. It's just, I love how cozy it looks. It just looks cozy when you do that. So I'm really hoping <laughs> that when I wash this quilt, it'll wrinkle up enough that you can't see the really bad quilting on it. Um, it's just, you know, I'm probably not even going to bother putting a label on this thing because I'm not sure if I want generations from now to know that I had anything <laughs> to do with it. It was Anyway, it'll be a long time before I do a pantograph again. Um, and it would have to be a bigger quilt, I think, because I think that's the only way I would actually get into a rhythm where I felt comfortable with what I was doing. Um, on the other hand, I really didn't like not being able to see what was going on in my quilt at the time. I really didn't like that. I wanted to be in the front of the quilt. So again, any long armors out there um, who, not the computerized pantograph, but have done the, the you know, manual pantograph or whatever, um, you know, lay your wisdom on me. Let me know if you agree with my theory. First of all, am I right in saying it was because I only had these short passes, so I just never really had enough time to get into a flow? Um, or or what? I mean, right now, I'm just saying I'm going to just continue to, to brush up my free motion skills. I'm going to teach myself some new free motion designs I could easily transfer to a long arm setting um, rather than just my machine, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so that was the first one. That was my learning experience. Don't like the pantograph. My second quilt I did was the following Monday. It was only like three or four days after the first appointment. And on that one, I was doing my Jelly Roll Sampler quilt. Now this quilt is from a book by Pam and Nikki Lintot, my favorites. I love me some Pam and Nikki Lintot. Um, you'll have to go back. Well, I couldn't even tell you a specific episode in my previous podcasting life to listen to, to hear me rave about the Lintots, uh, because I talked about them a lot. I have, I think, just about every one of their books. I did finally release one Lintot book in my decluttering in January. And even at that, I kind of had it on my shelf, off my shelf, on my shelf, back off my shelf. And I realized the only reason I was keeping it was because it was the Lintots. And I love the Lintots. But that particular book didn't have any designs that really um, jazzed me. Whereas 
every one of their books has stuff I really like. And they're beautifully done, and the photography is gorgeous, and they feel good in my hands, and they're really well written. I love me some Pam and Nikki Lintot. So much so that one of my treasured possessions is one of my listeners lives in England. Pam and Nikki Lintot are English. And as it turns out, um, the listener only listen only lives, I don't know, a few miles from their actual quilt shop. So she went and got me a signed copy of one of their books and sent it to me. So I have a signed copy by the Lintots. I don't remember which one of the ones was signed. But um, anyway, so... <laughs> Let me get back to the topic at hand, the Jelly Roll Sampler book. And I I loved this book. Um, I could see myself doing something from it again, although I don't know that I would do another sampler. The way it is, it's essentially a bunch of block designs that are done with measurements that work with a Jelly Roll, you know, two and a half inch strip. Um, and it has a bunch of different block designs, so you can do the sampler, I think... 12 blocks, maybe 15. I don't remember how many I ended up with. Um, and I don't remember now if I used all the blocks in the book because, yes, I made this quilt probably seven, eight years ago now. It was a long time ago. Um, the blocks are not easy. They've got a ton of pieces, just a ton. You're cutting those. <laughs> You're shredding those two and a half inch strips, tiny pieces. But um the whole thing I really like. I struggled a little bit with this particular jelly roll because contrast and value are is um, always an issue when you get to quilting. Obviously, you know, most quilt designs look best if there's a lot of contrast in the block and a lot of jelly rolls don't have a ton of contrast. They're almost all medium uh, value. So that can be a little tricky, but I still like the way I call it my shabby chic um, sampler quilt. And um, so anyway... I decided I was going to go back to free motion quilting and do my usual floral design that I've gotten very good at and very comfortable with. Um, this time, however, I was finally on a different machine. Every other time I've long armed at the store, I've been on the same machine, which I believe, I think, is an Amara, if I'm remembering correctly. This time I was on an Ansley, A-N-S-L-E-Y. And um, I actually, as soon as they said I was going to be on this one, I was happy because at one point I'd gone back and I was just kind of moving the carriage around and seeing, and it seemed like it, you know, felt like a good sturdy machine that I was going to enjoy using it. I had all sorts of issues. Now, in this particular store, their Ansley model, I think, is probably the first long arm machine they had or one of the first. It's one of their oldest ones. And... Um, she explained to me that the, because as soon as I started using it, I could tell there was something different about the stick, stitch regulator, the speed it was going. And it's one of the original stitch regulators. So on the machine I had been using, the Amara, it kept up with me. And although I still had to be careful, you know, to keep an even speed and not get going too fast and all those things you do, you know, when you're free motion quilting, um, it, it worked with me pretty easily. The Ansley, I felt like I was fighting it all the time. I just, I couldn't get into a good rhythm again with it. Well, the first time I went to advance my quilt, so this is the first time I'm actually seeing the back of the quilt after I've quilted it, I'm seeing tension issues. And at first, you know, I thought, do I go say something to them? Because this doesn't seem right. But I thought, no, this is a different machine. I'm not used to long arming. I'm free motioning. I'm probably just going too fast. 
So I slowed myself way down and I was and I still felt like I was fighting the stupid machine and the stitch rigging, but there was nothing specific enough that I could put my finger on. It just had a different feel to it. And so again, I just put it down to my lack of experience on long arms. So I'm going along and I'm pulling the advance the quilt and I'm still seeing the tension issues and I'm like, oh, I've got to keep going, you know, and I'm really now kind of paying close attention and concentrating with everything I'm doing, which of course then gets all the enjoyment right back out of it again, because I'm not in a rhythm. I'm like focused and intense and probably, you know, my anxiety levels probably through the roof, although I was trying to keep relaxed. But anyway, finally, I'm like three quarters of the way through the quilt. I've had these tension issues all the way through. And all of a sudden, it starts skipping stitches. Now, I've never had a machine that skipped stitches. This is never anything I've experienced. I know it's a disease that exists out in the world. I've never had it. <laughs> I've just, you know, I, again, I'm a Janome girl. There were courses. Uh, I don't, I rarely have mechanical issues with my machines. Um, so I didn't even know that's what happened the first time, but all of a sudden the, the machine sort of jumps like a quarter inch to the right takes a stitch and then kind of jumps again and then starts stitching again. I'm like, holy, you know, I'm like moving along and all of a sudden this thing's jumping out of my hands almost and moving over and doing it. And I'm like, what is going on? And so it's, it did it once. And I, again, I thought, did I just move too fast? Did I do that? So I, and then it didn't do it again. So I keep going and all of a sudden it does it again. I thought, okay, no, this time I just stopped. And I went out and I said, you know, I got one of the clerks and I said, could you come listen to this? Cause it's skipping stitches. So she came back and she said, okay, I want to watch you doing this. So I start going, of course, now it doesn't do it again. So she goes off to work on somebody else's machine and all of a sudden boom, it happened again. And she immediately stopped. She goes, I heard it. I heard it. I'm like, okay, it did do it again. And she said, yeah, it didn't sound like you were moving too fast. So she came back and looked at it. And what they realized was that the wheels of the machine in the carriage that it was sitting in had gotten gummy, um, apparently. Now, some of you who are free, uh, long arm machine owners probably know exactly what I'm about to say, because this is probably something you've been warned about. Apparently, when you have uh, the long arm machines, the wheels, you are not supposed to actually use any sort of cleaning fluid on them. You're just supposed to clean them with water. Um, they do get gooped up. They get, you know, all the fuzz and everything that exists when you're quilting uh, and dust and dirt, all that, and probably oil from oiling the machines. So you do have to clean them, but apparently you only clean them with a damp cloth. Well, apparently, because um, she did admit to it, one of the clerks, oh no, I used cleaning fluid last time I did it. So what that does is it actually starts to kind of corrode the wheels so they get sticky so i realized you know at the time i'm sitting there thinking okay so i now have a quilt that's got terrible tension issues all over the back of it but thank god at least it's not me <laughs> you know this wasn't me making this mistake i am so quick to assume that i've done something wrong and in this case i'm discovering no this wasn't me. This was an actual issue with the machine. Um, so then I had to wait, you know, like half an hour for them to get it all cleaned off. But once they cleaned it, I could definitely feel a difference. And I was suddenly not fighting with the machine anymore, at least not as much as still. I didn't like the feel of it as well as I did the Amara. So, you know, lesson learned again. I, between these two machines, I would prefer the, the Amara. Um, so anyway, I did get it finished. Um, they 
gave me a discount on the fee that I had paid, uh, that I paid for the rental because of the, the problem. So all that turned out fine. Um, but again, now I've got a, a quilt. This quilt I'd liked a little bit better. I still don't have any, I didn't have any grand plans for it. I'd had half a thought about somebody I might give it to, but you know, they, it's not like I'd ever said to them, Hey, I'm going to make you this quilt. Nobody ever knew. Nobody even knows this thing exists. So, um, I'm going to wait till again, it's got a hundred percent cotton batting. So it'll likely shrink up. So nobody would even see the tension issues except me on the back, but it does, you know, again, it's a little frustrating that I didn't trust myself and stop the minute that I saw the tension issues and say to somebody, this is not me. I know this isn't me. Um, if it had been like one little section, I could say, yeah, this one part I probably got, but it was all over the place. I'm like, I know that's not me. So lesson learned again, not going back to that machine. Um, next time I go, and it'll be a while because I don't have any quilts ready to quilt right now. But the next time I go to rent time on a long arm, I'm going to actually ask if I can use the Janome. They have a Janome long arm that I haven't gotten to use yet. And so I do really want to try that one out. So that's kind of my plan. Uh, so that's, you know, you learn. Uh, it, as somewhere along the way, I heard the line, um, it's not a mistake, it's information. Or it's not a failure, it's information. I don't remember exactly what it was. But, you know, so... Now I've got a quilt with, well, I've got the pantograph one is like <laughs> kindergartner free motioning. It looks really bad. Um, it's not a mistake. It's information. I don't like pantographs. Uh, the jelly roll sampler. Okay. It's not a mistake. It's information. First of all, trust myself. I do actually know what I'm doing. And um, second, don't use the Ansley. <laughs> so. So that's my long arm adventures. Again, it's going to be a while before I get back on there again. Um, I really don't have, I, I've been working, uh, quilting and doing stuff pretty consistently, but I, you know, nothing that's really feels like progress. I have finally gotten all the stuff I was decluttering um, out to the car, at least. It's in the car. It hasn't gotten out of the house yet, but it's in the car. Um, the one thing that held me up at the very end is I have all these bags of books that I wanted to donate, but my mother had been in the habit, and I did still have a lot of her books were part of these. She had been in the habit of, she worked in a library, so she was very uh, keen on tracking books. <laughs> so she had put her name and address label and all the books that she owned, so that if she loaned them out to somebody, they would remember who to give it back to. Well, when I started quilting and owning my own books, you know, I thought, well, that seems like a really good idea. So I started putting address labels in all of my books, never thinking about the fact that I rarely loaned out a book. I wasn't in a guild at that point. Um, I wasn't around other people that were borrowing books or loaning books, you know, that we were just my BFF, BQF, Kate, and I were just very different quilters, so we didn't have the same resources. And then I realized the first time I wanted to donate some books, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of a pain that I have my <laughs> name and address label on all of these books. So somewhere along the way, I did stop doing it, thank God. But that meant uh, before I could donate all of these books, I had to get the stupid labels out of them. Less worried about my mother's because, of course, now she's passed, so there's less of a security issue. But her address, somebody else is living in that address, so I didn't want to, you know, put the address out into the world. Um, 
And then, of course, my name and address I didn't want out there. So I read somewhere about um, when you have labels on books, which they meant mostly price labels. You know, they weren't thinking name and address labels, but same thing. You actually use a steam iron. So I put, I would open up to the page where the, it was either on the front cover or on the inside front page is where the labels were always put. And so I put a piece of cloth over it, just a regular cotton a piece of uh, scrap cloth and then I'd hit it with the iron and hit it with steam a couple of times and that would loosen up the adhesive and then here's my unsung quilt notion of this episode is the wooden seam press thing what do you call them magic I don't remember what it's called but it's the wooden stick that has the edge on it that you can use to um, finger press essentially without a finger <laughs> finger wooden stick press thingy at the sewing machine. It, I have one that's got a wide and fairly sharp, I mean it's not sharp, it is blunted, but it's a, a nice edge that I was able to scrape those labels off. Now some of them I had to really kind of fight with, other ones came off really easily, but boy I loved having that scraper rather than having to use my fingernails the whole time. So that was good. I did get all of the labels off and I will never put a stinking label on a book again. Um, so all of those are done and out. Um, so I have, let's see, what time frame am I on with this episode? I'm at 41 minutes. All right, let's, I'll skip talking about the couple of um, subscription things I was gonna talk about. We'll put those onto the next episode, but I do have a few comments I've been collecting. Um, Vanessa emailed and well, I think Vanessa posted in Facebook maybe the first time, but then also emailed me. Uh, Vanessa talking about not being able to find me on iTunes. We've talked about that. <laughs> Hopefully you will be able to soon. And then Vanessa, and I love this, um, please send me your pictures of projects you're working on because I just love looking at them. She emailed me a picture of a baby bag that she just finished her for her daughter who's due in five weeks. Um and this is where you can tell that somebody is from either the U.S. or Australia because they say wadding instead of batting. Um, she said it was a bug job is choosing to use heavy duty bag. Wadding was the wrong choice, but it's finished. Yay, Vanessa, it's finished. Um, and in the picture, uh, Vanessa, it's Winnie the Pooh fabric. Those are my favorite Winnie the Pooh illustrations, the the ones that are based on the original illustrations of the books, I think. I love those Winnie the Pooh illustrations. So I was just all sorts of adoring that fabric. So thank you for that. Um, and Vanessa also talks about the Janome M7 Continental. She used it for making the bag. I, oh, I'm still drooling over that. But what I did realize is if I got, if I traded my 6600 for the Janome M7, I'd have to get a whole new sewing cabinet. It would The one I own now, which has a recessed thing and I've got the plexiglass cut to fit my 6600, even the recessed hole, I don't think would be big enough. And I was cued into that by watching Kimberly Einmo's video on YouTube because she um, is a Janome spokesperson and she said something about the M7. She did a whole thing on the M7. And then she said, and I had to get a new sewing cabinet to fit. And I was like, oh, Okay, well, that adds to the cost significantly. So 
you know, I'm kind of back to saying, I don't know if that's the way I'm going to go. I don't, you know, it's funny for me to even talk about this because I'm not getting a new machine anytime soon. I don't care what kind it is. So I don't even know why I'm thinking about it. So anyway, thank you, Vanessa, for your comments. Um, I'll just come to Australia and use your M7, you know, next time I have a project. How's that sound? Uh, I got a comment from Daisy on um, one of my blog posts, I think, The Storm at Sea Just Never Ends. She says, The Storm at Sea is not for the weak of heart. It's been on my list of forever, but I'm not there yet. That's a lot of triangles. Love your blues. I will say, if I wasn't using the AccuQuilt die, I don't think I would have ever done this quilt. It does make it so much easier to use the Storm at Sea die because everything's got, it's just, anyway, I like it. And then also, a um, comment from Susan V on the same blog post. Those fabrics are beautiful. It's going to be stunning. It will be eventually <laughs> whenever I get it done. Um, I believe that's all the comments for this week. I didn't double check today. I hope you will please send me your comments. I would love to hear from you. And like I said, I would love to get pictures. Um, you know where you can reach me. I'm Sandy Quilts at gmail.com. Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. I'm Sandy Quilts on Instagram and Twitter although I'm really not on Twitter much anymore. Uh, we have the Quilting for the Rest of Us page on Facebook and, of course, our website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. That's all I have for this episode, so until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.